presence that's with us here this morning. Now we have so many different needs that we bring before you. We face tough situations in our life, Lord. I know there are a lot of people that are struggling this morning. Lord, they don't have answers. But Lord, we know that you always answer our prayers. It may not be the way that we anticipate or the way that we desire, but you always answer our prayers. And I pray that you would help us to trust you. Help us to not lean on our own understanding, but in all of our ways, acknowledge you. Lord, we know that you will direct our path. We thank you for this truth, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 What a blessing. Man, you guys are are beautiful. You guys are wonderful. I love you guys. You can be seated. What a wonderful time of singing wonderful worship songs to the Lord. Amen. Great job. Our worship, te- our worship teams always do a, do a great job. I love, the, I love the different rotations of worship team. We don't have, we don't have multiple teams. We have one team that, that, that unifies together to worship the Lord. And what a blessing to see that each and every Sunday. Amen. Well, we have a, a special privilege of having some dear missionaries here that, have, uh, that Living Word Church has supported for how long? 15 years. We have Stan and Rebecca Abrahamson is here. And uh, who, amen. How, how many of you have, have heard Stan and Rebecca when they've been here throughout the years? Amen. Well, I remember seeing them just like you have seen him, seen them come up and Stan would always share what is going on in their ministry. And, and over the years, you know, uh, I didn't know I was going to end up being the pastor of the, of, of the church. And I, I just, I, get, I never met them. I would see them. Maybe, maybe I might have met them. I'm not sure. But I met them on Friday night. And I had a wonderful time hearing Stan and Rebecca share their heart uh, over what the Lord has done over the 35 years, the over 35 years they've been in Brazil, in the, in, the, in the jungles and rivers of Brazil, in their boat, traveling the rivers, preaching the, preaching the gospel. And they both shared amazing stories of God's faithfulness. I wish all of you could, could have heard the stories that, that, that they shared. Miracle working power of God as they're taking the gospel to the, to the jungles. And so we are still supporting them. We love the work that they're doing. And we just, we, we love it when our missionaries come in town so they can share with you what God is doing in their lives. So I just want to welcome them to come up. Just take the time and share what the Lord has laid on your heart. Good morning. As we say in Portuguese, bom dia. You can do better than that. <laughs> yeah. Paul said in Romans 1, 11 and 12, <clears throat> that he longed to see you, see the Roman people, so they could, by their mutual faith, encourage one another. And I want to say that missionaries do a lot of traveling, um, going to a lot of churches, but some churches kind of rise to the top of being extra special, and this is one of those churches for Stan and I. And we love coming down to Louisiana. We're from Colorado originally, and I just want to say it's such a blessing to be in here. And also, 
the other morning when I woke up, don't you just love, there's an old song that said, woke up um, this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. And the other morning, I love it when I wake up thinking about Jesus. And I woke up and my heart was filled with gratitude for the network of fellow believers that God's raised up to stand with us and do the ministry. Fact is, we all have an equal part in bringing the lost to the Lord, whether it's here in Louisiana or out in the jungles of Brazil or in Asia or Africa. And I want to say thank you for standing with us in prayer, financial support, friendship. Sometimes I'll get a text from somebody here and they'll say, Lord brought you to my mind. What's going on? I'm praying for you. And I can't even tell you how much that means to us. So I'm up here to say thank you. I'll pass the microphone to Stan to kind of bring you up to speed. Thank you, believers, brothers and sisters. Well, after today, I, I, I don't know how you could live life without Jesus Christ. I don't know how, how you could. I mean, you know, he's everything. Uh, you know, they, they say uh, there's no place like home. I say there's no place like home. Because when we're here, we feel at home. And that's the, that's the absolute truth. That's, as my wife shared, we love coming here. And, you know, I, I often say in churches, I don't know why you even have sometimes sermons because you get so blessed in the first part, you get like four or five sermons or teachings throughout the time. And that's what you have here. You are truly, truly blessed. And I, I exhort you to enjoy it and to appreciate it and to thank the Lord Jesus Christ because his provision for you is so incredible, so incredible. Uh, if you want to put up the first picture of the map where... We are missionaries in Brazil, my wife, Rebecca, and I. Uh, and is this Brazil? A lot of people say, well, we're Brazil. It's in South America. It's about, actually, if you flew south, about six hours, you would end up in Brazil. Uh, we have been missionaries in Brazil for 35-plus years. I actually am a, uh, my parents were missionaries, so I grew up in Brazil. And uh, my parents have since, my dad has since passed on, and my mom has retired. And if you can actually see, maybe up in the left-hand corner of Brazil, the, the yellow, there's a blue line. That's where we work on a, a river called the Madeira River. But what God has called us to, you can go ahead and put up the next picture, is to minister to the river people uh, in Brazil. And uh, go ahead to the next one. And this is kind of what actually what their, their, their living situation like. There are people who live along the rivers in the Amazon region. There's lakes, there's rivers, there's untold uh, amounts of lakes and rivers out there. And God called us to take the, the gospel to these people. They are in poverty. They live off of what they can grow or what they can fish. And they just, you know, they just exist out there. The conditions are very difficult due to the bugs, due to the, uh, the weather, the climate. Uh, you can see the water. All of these th- exi- uh, conditions exist. But the Lord challenged us many years ago to take the gospel to them. And so our vision is to evangelize and disciple. We believe very strongly in discipleship because in many of these places, there may be three or four houses, and so you might have 12 people you evangelize. And if only two accept the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no way you're going to plant a church there because there's too few. So you have to strengthen them in the Lord so they can maintain and continue on in Christ. And in our discipleship, we also, as we go along and disciple them, we train them to be leaders. So the whole goal is that as we disciple them, we prepare them so they can go out, win someone to the Lord, and then disciple that person. 
because you know the difficulty factor out in this in this part of the world is so much so that there's not a lot of pastors that we have founded churches out there but it's so hard pastors don't want to go out there and live or, or, or you know so we have to raise up the people too but the lord has blessed us uh, and you can go to the next picture this is kind of what they what's always amazing to us is you'll see people this is their mode of transportation. Everything's done in boats because it's all in the river. And you're familiar with water down here. I know Leverance has made that, has helped us understand that. So, uh, but it's really amazing. You'll see these people paddling along and all these families in these canoes. And it's amazing how many of them do not know how to swim, so, which I don't understand. And, of course, I have not explained to you what's in the water. There's the alligators, the anacondas, the catfish that swallow people whole, the piranhas, and all this stuff that's in the water. And yet, you know, so go to the next picture. Uh, and this just there, it's a lot of focus, but this is two of the, uh, our boats. We do everything on boats, and we have built all these boats. So this is our mode of transportation. We go out, we live on the boats, we work with the people. It's relationship evangelism, which means you ha- it takes time. You have to go out and learn who they are. You have to learn who he is, who she is. You have to take time to let them tell you their story before you can tell them your story. But you see, when that's done then your story is very valuable to them because they learn to know who you are also. And so as you develop a relationship with them, then it's easier to disciple and teach them. And, you know, that's kind of what the Lord Jesus Christ did so many places where he went. So uh, as we've been doing this for so many years, you know, it's interesting because then God came a a couple years to us and he said, I want to change. Well, if you're in Christ and you are serving God, there's one thing that's interesting about change is it always is God's purpose. See, our God is a God of purpose, not reason, purpose. He has a purpose, and with every purpose, there's a plan. And so when he calls us to change and he brings change in our life, there's purpose, but there's some other things that really are blessings. There's provision and order, always. That's how our God works. He's interested in his plan being fulfilled because it's his purpose. And so he came to us and he said, well, I want you, I want to change something in, in the way you do things. I want you to step back. And he said, I want you to move back to the United States and step back and let the Brazilians take more of a leading role in the ministry. Well, you know, that's good. But, you know, many times when God brings change to us, it's kind of like jumping out into the deep water. You you start wondering how deep the water is, what color is the water, what's in the water. But you have to understand, if if you're in Christ, it's his purpose. Doesn't matter how deep the water, doesn't matter how cold, doesn't matter even what's in it. We we have the right to think all those things, but then we have to say, okay, now what now where are we going? And see that's that's the wonderful, wonderful thing that each one of us has in our lives is that when God brings change and if we are in Christ, there's a purpose for it. And I can tell you at the end of every purpose is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. And so as we, as he called us to do this change, of course, we said, well, now what's going on? I was raised in Brazil. I've been down there over 50-some years. That's my life. That's where I've been. How am I going to come back to this country? <laughs> it's, uh, you do things a little different up here. You speak English, for one thing. And, you know, everything's modernized and everything. But the Lord said, this is what I want. Well, as we came back, of course, as I said, there's provision. And so as we started searching, because we needed these Brazilians to step up, because many of the Brazilian missionaries we had in our ministry had left, had gone to other ministries. We were down to four of us. Well, see, God has a purpose. So one day I, I met this, these people who have a school in northeastern Brazil, clear over on the other side of Brazil, where they train lay people to be missionaries. And through some interesting circumstances, I learned about this ministry. It's called uh, uh, World Christian Outreach in Brazil. It's a major ministry. They, they have ministries in 40 countries around the world. I, I often, how, how come I didn't know these people before? 
But you see, in God's change, there's order. There's that timeline that He knows. We don't need to know. We just, in faith, obey. And He brings it about. So I met these people, and they said, well, we would really like to prepare missionaries to come over and work in your part in the, with the river people. And see, the whole thing of God and His order and His divine plan is He knew that we had experience. We know how to do this. He has provided us with boats. We have all this that's necessary for these Brazilian missionaries to come in and start serving Him. That's how He is. He's a, he's a God of incredible order. And then if that wasn't enough, I, I got this email from some guy. I had no idea who he was, and I thought it was spam. So I chucked it, you know, because you've got to be careful of those things. And he, he insisted and sent me another email. I said, well, I better check this guy out. Well, as it turned out, it was a missionary in another part of Brazil who's a pilot who has three airplanes. He wants to move to our region and wants to serve the river people. See, that's God's provision. You, you just, you just, you know, when change comes, you know, sometimes we get in a real a rush. We want to push God around. We have to learn just to let him provide because his provision is perfect for his purpose. And so this, I, so I finally got in touch with this man, Matthew, and I said, well, Matthew, let's get together. We got together, and he came and said, hey, Stan, I want to move over here, and I'm bringing six Brazilian families with me to start working in this region. Isn't that incredible? That's God's order. That's God's provision. So change is wonderful because it's God's purpose for our life. I mean, remember salvation? That was the first big change in our lives. Wasn't that great? That was, that's wonderful. So anyway, so as, as these people have started, started uh, uh, the Lord started providing these people. Well, I don't know if some of you who know us uh, before, some of you don't. About eight years ago, the Lord laid on our heart to build a boat that was supposed to serve in a river that's about, well, it's actually 13-hour boat tri- hour, hour, uh, trip hours away from us north. And so we built this boat out of obedience eight years ago. We never got it to the, up to this river. And so we've been praying, you know, because, you know, when you obey God, sometimes you, you, get, you think, well, somebody made a mistake. Uh, you know, God never makes mistakes. But, you know, somebody didn't hear right something. But when you walk in obedience, you know that you're, you are correct and that God is always purposeful. Well, this last year when all these missionaries started coming, I sat down with their leader and I said, you know what? The Lord has laid on our heart that now we're going to move the boat up to that river. It's been eight years. And in those eight years, nobody has moved into that river to evangelize it. It still is totally unevangelized. So see, God, in his timing, we waited eight years. That's a long time. Not to God. Because his purpose is not based upon a clock. It's, burst, it's based upon his purpose that all men will know the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's what he's called us to. I really like Matthew 24 because, you know, that's a, a prophecy that Jesus gave that all nations shall hear the gospel. So he has to fulfill it, right? But we have part of that. And our part is total obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, before I close, I'd, I'd like the pastor, Pastor Ben, if you come up here. I, I, I don't always do things in order. Beck, can you come here? I know your wife is probably not available. But. You know, one of the things that if you read in the scriptures, that it, it tells us of what a true man of God is. Over and over in Timothy and Thessalonians, the Bible says that a true man of God is a man humble before the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I don't know Ben very, very well. I just actually met him also the other night. I saw him on all the other trips. But in that short amount of time, this man is a humble man of God. You are blessed. But one of the things you have to understand is 
He's not this church. You are this church. He represents you. But as a man of God who is humble before the Lord Jesus Christ, you are blessed. In Hosea, it says, God told the people that they perished for lack of knowledge. Well, God has provided you with someone that will bring you the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's no gonna, no, not going to be any perishing here, is there? <laughs> Although you're going to perish, you're not going to perish because God has brought you someone. And, you know, you have blessed the people, the river people of the Amazon. There's many, many of them that know the Lord Jesus Christ today. Because you sent us and we took the gospel. And you know, in, in the Acts, the disciples said, you know, I, silver and gold have I none to give to you. But what I have, I will give. And I, as a blessing from the people of Brazil to this church, I would like to pray for your pastor. That, that's, that's what we have. Okay. And Rebecca, God, and I thank you for their faithfulness all of these years. Lord, it is a hard work that they've been doing. God, but they have labored faithfully. Not many people have seen what they've done. Not many people have, have been able to witness their faithfulness and the, the, their, their love for the people that you've called them to serve. But Lord, you have seen. And you recognize and you know what it is, the sacrifices they've made for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would honor them. God, I pray, Lord, that you would continue the legacy that they have established. I pray that you would use them to mentor and train and disciple future generations of Brazilian missionaries, Lord, to go to the people, Lord, that Stan and Rebecca have ministered to all these years. Lord, they have plowed and they have worked hard many countless nights. They have worked hard and they've wondered and they questioned. But Lord, you were with them all along the way. And Lord, you're going to continue the work that you started in them and through them. We thank you for it, Lord. Bless them in this new season. Oh, continue to open doors. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you. Amen. All right. Amen. Let's go home. We're good to go. And once you stand to your feet, we'll take about a five-minute break. Welcome one another, and we're going to dive into Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's dive into God's Word. Lord, we come before you this morning, and we thank you for the privilege that we have to gather around your Word. Lord, it is your Word that sanctifies us and matures us. It is your truth, Lord, that we are interested in. We're not interested in the opinions of man or in the tradition of man, but Lord, we are interested in your truth. And Lord, I pray, God, that as your word is taught, Lord, that you would, that you would deal with the issues of our heart, Lord, that you would mature us, help us to grow in Christ's likeness. Lord, may everything that we do be done to glorify the name of Jesus Christ, for it is truly about Jesus here this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So how many of you have ever had a vehicle that was not fully equipped. Mean, meaning you got to roll down the window. Anybody had those, window, those vehicles you got to roll down the window? Um, if you want to put the seat back, you got to le- grab under the seat and, and lift up the lever and push it back. Um, what are some other features of non-fully equipped vehicles? No power steering. 
Well, that should be standard, right? Air conditioning. But sometimes, I guess, maybe it's not standard. Hopefully, that's kind of the baseline now. But we've all had experiences, experiences in driving vehicles that were not fully equipped. How many of you have, or have driven or are driving a fully equipped vehicle? You got a lot of rich people in here, huh? <laughs> but it's true, right? It is, it is so much better to drive a fully equipped vehicle. You're able to do everything that you desire to do in your vehicle more than just getting the, from point A to point B. You're able to, to, to do more effectively the things that you want to do in your vehicle. And, and so being fully equipped as a vehicle is, uh, is, is, is a great blessing. And it just so happens that those fully equipped vehicles cost a lot more money than those standard baseline vehicles. But I just wanted to start out by explaining this and, and paralleling the reality that God desires that as believers that we would be fully equipped. And some of us are equipped at different levels. We've been given spiritual gifts from the Lord to function in the context of the local church and, and, and in the world around us to use those spiritual gifts for the, glor- for the glorifying of the name of Christ. But some of us We are not fully equipped yet. We're in process. We're growing. None of us are fully equipped yet. God is maturing us and growing us, but we're all at different levels. And the purpose of spiritual growth is that we would grow in who God has called us to be. We would grow, first of all, in Christ-likeness, becoming like Christ in our character, our attitude, and our actions. But also that that we would become more equipped to do what God has called us to do. Every single one of you is called to use A spiritual gift that the Lord has given you as a believer in Jesus Christ for the purpose of glorifying his name and seeing Jesus glorified, seeing people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's all of you. And the text we're going to look at this morning in Ephesians as we continue in Ephesians chapter 4, we continue in our journey in the series Built Together, a series about the local church. As we continue on, we're going to look at a section of scripture that talks about the reality that we've all been given a gift. We've all been given a grace. And then secondly, we've all been given help to develop that, that gifting and that grace that God's given us. And then lastly, we're all called to work. You guys ready to work? We're all called to work, to use our spiritual gifts for the purpose of God's name being glorified in this church, for Christians to be edified in this church, and for the world to know about Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 what we looked at previously in the first two weeks first week we talked about the reality that a church is not a building a church is not a building but a church is what it's a people and what type of people make up the church of Jesus Christ people redeemed people redeemed people those that belong to Jesus Christ those that's what you call a church a church is not just a gathering of people that assemble in a building. A church is a gathering of a special people, a people that have been called out of darkness into light. They're believers. And then, and then thirdly, we learn that, that the church is also, it's, 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 a, it's those redeemed people becoming more like Christ in the way that they think, they act, in the way that they talk and behave. They're growing in their Christ-likeness. And then last week we talked about how those redeemed people that are growing in Christ's likeness, that God is wanting to unify them together. And the way that he unifies us is that he helps us to grow in humility, in gentleness, in patience, and in love. And as we grow in those attributes in our spiritual life, then God unifies us together for the singular purpose of doing what? Exalting Christ. 
making disciples and seeing the saints equipped. And that's, that's where we have been. And then we're going to transition here in Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 12. And so let's read the text. Ephesians 4, 7 through 12. It says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, into the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens and he might fill all things. Just a little, a little explanation of what this section means. It means that, that Jesus was in heaven. It means that God's, God the Father sent Jesus in the incarnation to the earth. And because of his victory at the cross and his resurrection, he is ascended above all things. And as a result of his power and his victory, he has the authority to give gifts to men. To use those gifts for their maturity, but also for the proclamation of the gospel. So here are some of the gifts that he has given. And he gave up the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of of ministry for building up the body of Christ. And so this message this morning is called Equipped to Work. God gives us gifts, but he doesn't leave us alone. He helps equip us for the purpose of the work of the ministry. God desires to use each one of us as believers, listen, as vehicles, as fully equipped vehicles for kingdom purposes. Do you believe that? God desires to use you as a fully equipped vehicle so that the gospel can travel through your life and can impact your brothers and sisters in Christ and can impact a world that is desperate for the gospel. Our world is desperate for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? They are, our, our world, those that don't know Jesus, they are desperately lost and hopeless. They are without hope in this life. And they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God wants to use you. He has given you gifts as believers to be used so that you can be a vehicle, fully equipped vehicle for kingdom purposes. So what we're going to do is we want to look at three categories here that we're going to look at in that text. We'll break it down here. The first one is this, is that we have each been given a grace. We have each been given a grace. Let's go back to the text, Ephesians 4, 7 and 8. It says, but grace was what? was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. God has uniquely gifted believers with spiritual gifting that he desires to use for his glory. He's uniquely wired us. Romans 12, 3 through 8 says this. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have, for, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. That's what we, talk, we talked about last week. Though we are many members, we are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ, listen to this, having gifts that differ according to the what? To the grace that's been given to us. We have all been given a grace according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If God's given us gifts, then we should what? Should use them. It'd be like Christmas. 
And you give your kids or your grandkids a present and they don't even open it. And in there is the greatest gift. It's the gift that they've longed for and they've desired and it just sits there under the tree. Have you ever had a kid that did that? Anybody in this room? Have you ever done that? I mean, what do you do with the gift? You open it, you say, you say I, I, I want to receive whatever it is, the good thing that my father or mother has desired or my grandparents have desired to give me, right? You open it up. And so this is the point here is that we would use it. Let us use the gift. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes, do it with generosity, The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, do it with cheerfulness. If you do an act of mercy, God's given you a gift, of a a mercy gift. Don't do it begrudgingly. Oh, man, I have to do it. I got to be merciful to you. I got to show kindness to you. You know, like Kayo and Natasha, they lead the House of Hope on Saturdays. They're looking for cheerful people that want to give gifts of mercy. Not somebody who's going to going to put the, the food with the spoon in the plate and slop it down. Oh, you don't deserve this and, and all this. No, you don't deserve this act. Of, no, we don't want you to come. Stay home. God can, God can equip you for something else, right? So, so we want to use the giftings the Lord's given us for the purpose of glorifying God, right? And God has gifted us. And here's, here's an interesting point. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says this about spiritual gifts. All these gifts from the Holy Spirit, are empowered by one and the same Spirit. Listen to this. Who apportions to each one individually as what? As he wills. And that's what we read earlier, that not everyone has the same gift, same spiritual gift, but God has given spiritual gifts to everyone as he wills. We're not all the same. We're not all the same. I just want to mention this. There is a difference between physical ability Natural ability that God's given you and spiritual gifts. So this afternoon, and I know some of you are, are, are anxious, but in about 30 minutes, Drew Brees is going to step on that football field. And hopefully you set your, your DVR, as I did this morning, I set my DVR so I can watch in my leisure. But Drew Brees is going to throw some touchdown passes this morning. I believe that. Do you believe that? He's going to throw some touchdown passes. And Michael Thomas is probably going to catch him. Right? Or, or maybe, did, did we get Benjamin Watson back? Yeah. I, I, you know what I think is going to happen? I think Ben Watson's going to catch a touchdown pass today. Let's see, let's see what happens. Alvin Kamara, what's Alvin Kamara going to do? He's going to run over somebody or run around somebody, right? He typically runs around people because he has some skills, right? I can try as hard as I want, but the New Orleans Saints are not going to want me to be their next quarterback when Drew Brees retires. It is not going to happen. Why is that? I don't have that natural ability that Drew Drew Brees has to sling that football. I don't have the size and the strength that Alvin Kamara has to run around people. And if I would happen to get hit, get up alive. I don't have that ability. God did not designate that for me to do. Correct? And 99.9999999% of you... Don't have that same gifting as well. Maybe there is a 0.1% that's in here and you will be the next Drew Brees. I don't know. But I know for sure that if you have the natural ability, God will use that natural ability. But there's a difference between natural abilities and spiritual gifts. Natural abilities set, us, set tiers and levels 
of, of effectiveness, right? So we look at Drew Brees and we think he is amazing because of how awesome he is at what he does. Or we look at other people with other skills and abilities and we can kind of grade them at different levels. But what's beautiful about what the Lord does in his church is that he gives spiritual gifts and scripture tells us that none of us are better than anyone else. No matter what, from me across the board, nobody is better than anyone else in the body of Christ or more needed. And this is what 1 Corinthians 12 says this. Listen, this is a long section, but I want to read it because it is so vivid the way it it describes what I'm saying here. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand and I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, what that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, right? That would be weird. Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, can't imagine that. Where would be the sense of smell? Listen to this. But as it is, God arranged. You remember 1 Corinthians 12? He apportions the gift as he wills. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose if all were a single member where would the body be as it is there are many members yet one body listen to this the eye cannot say to the hand i have no need of you nor again the head to the feet i have no need of you on the contrary the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and on the parts of the body that we think less honorable we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, so that there may be no division in the body. No tears, no categories, no division. We are all gifted with spiritual gifts for the purpose of using those gifts for the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, we all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Amen? We have all been given a grace. We have all been given a gifting, it says in Ephesians here. We have all been given a gift from the Lord, from the Holy Spirit, so that those giftings can be used for the building up of the body of Christ, for the purpose of evangelism in our community and in your family. We have all been given a grace. Nobody is greater than anyone else. And I have experienced that in my church life all all of my life growing up. Preachers especially, they're looked at as superstars. And and those who are on stage playing music, they're looked at as superstars. And there seems to be categories of Christians, but it is not true. Scripture does not tell us that. Nobody is greater on any greater level than anyone else. The difference is this. It's called responsibility. It's called responsibility. I will stand before the Lord in judgment. I will stand before the Lord and have to be accountable for how I shepherd you. And the greatest responsibility I have is to handle the Bible accurately. Listen, I think about this every day, every week. Last night I'm laying in my bed and I said, Lord, I got to open the Bible and I have to teach the Bible tomorrow morning. Lord, help me. Because because I'm responsible. And you, you may not have that responsibility to teach God's word. But you have other responsibilities. And you're accountable to the Lord for what you do with those responsibilities. So the first thing we see is that we've all been given a grace. We've all been given a gift. Second thing we see is that we have all been given help. 
we have all been given help. Let's go back to the text. Ephesians 9 through 12 says this. In saying he descended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, into the earth. He who descended, who was incarnated, is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints. So not only are we individually gifted with spiritual gifts that God wants to use for the building up of the body and for evangelistic purposes, but God has given gifted people, gifted men, for the purpose of equipping us in our spiritual gifts so that we can be effective. So what we want to do is we want to look through the different giftings, uh, uh, starting with the apostles, and we want to go, th- go through this. So God has given gifted leaders with specific calls for the purpose of establishing and building his church. So the first group that was listed there is apostles. Apostles. So I just want to say this about apostles. There's a specific criteria for those who would be called apostles. Does anybody know what the criteria was to be called an apostle? You, you can talk to me. Anybody know? I know my, the, the pastors know. Hmm? Had to walk with Jesus. Had to have walked with Jesus. Had, and also had to have, have been a witness to the resurrected Christ. So that is the criteria that we see in Scripture. Do you remember when Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver? What happened to Judas after that? He went and hung himself, right? And so Judas had to be replaced as there had to be another disciple that would take his place to, to continue the mission that the Lord had given the original apostles. And so let's, let's look at that in Acts chapter 1, 15 through 17. It says this, In those days Peter stood up among the, um, among the brothers. The company of persons was, all, was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us, he was an apostle, and was allotted his share in this ministry. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there, and let there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. So they're saying here we need to choose another person to be an apostle. Verse 21 says, so one of the men who have accompanied So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, that's that's the first criteria, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to what? To his resurrection. He has to have been walked among Jesus when he walked the earth. He has to have been a witness to the resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these you two have chosen, oh, these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go in his own place. So the criteria for apostleship was given and it was that they would be a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So based upon this criteria, I can tell you, based upon what scripture says, there are no apostles today. So, I know you have questions. Well, wait a minute. I saw on TV, apostle so-and-so, and and apostle so-and-so, and and this is guy's apostle, and that guy's an apostle. I I just, I have to be honest with you. Scripture doesn't give us that liberty to take upon the title of apostle. That's not what the Bible says. I just have to say that there have have been no other witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ that have been alive for over 2,000 years. 
And so, so that means that nobody can say, I am an apostle. It would be like me getting up and saying, I'm an apostle in the line of the apostles. That's not biblical. So, but what do, what do I believe about the, the, the function of, of an apostle? Where, well, the word apostle means sent one. The word apostle means one that is sent. And so I believe today, if we were to say that what, what is the function of the apostle office, I would say in the strictest sense, there are no more apostles today. But there are those who function in, in apostolic function. There are those, and, here, and here's what I, I believe would be apostolic function today in the church. I believe that God has gifted men like Stan, like, like Brother Stan, and he is going to function in an, apostolic func- in an apostolic way. He is going to go and he's going to train those leaders that are going to come under him and he's going to bring oversight and care in, in a way that would be apostolic that we saw, that we see in the book of Acts of the original apostles. What did the original apostles do? They brought oversight and care as churches were planted You were to have the apostles that would go and would deal with the issues that would come up. In Acts 15, there was was a need for a a council to be established. It's called the Jerusalem Council. Where there was Jewish Christians who were wanting to place on the backs of Gentile Christians burdens that they were not called to to carry. Like they were telling the men, you need to be circumcised now. Because if you're not circumcised, you can't be a Christian. How many men here are glad that the Jerusalem council and the apostles got together and said, that is not the gospel. We're glad for that, right? And so what happened was the apostles would, would gather from time to time and would deal with the issues. They'd go and check up on churches. That's what the apostle Paul would do on his missionary journeys. would plant churches and check on churches and other apostles with him. And so I believe that that, that, that function is there, but there is not a single title of apostle. We cannot claim that. I believe God uses leaders in his church today that have apostolic function, church planters or mature seasoned leaders who bring oversight and leadership. Okay, secondly, so those are the apostles. Secondly, here are the, the prophets. So I want to say this about prophets. In the formation of the early church, there was not a complete compilation of Scripture. There was not a complete compilation of Holy Scripture. God would use men... To speak under divine inspiration to declare the word of the Lord. And so there was a need for men to be divinely inspired from the Lord to speak the truth of God so that others could hear the truth of God. And if you go back to the prophets of the Old Testament, there was a primary function of prophets in the Old Testament. The the primary function of prophets in, in the Old Testament was to bring warning and judgment. You would see, especially with the nation of Israel, that Israel would, would follow the Lord. And then they would rebel against the Lord. And then they would cry out for help. And, and while, while they're in their state of rebellion, the Lord would send prophets to them and say, you need to repent. You need to turn back to the Lord. And then you would have prophets that would be sent to pagan nations and say that you need to repent lest God sends judgment. And so that was kind of the category in the office of prophets in the Old Testament. And then you see in the New Testament... That, that before scripture was completed, that God would raise up men that would speak the word of the Lord and they were divinely inspired. And eventually those men, as we see in New Testament writings, would, would, would write down the word of the Lord. And so now, in our day, we have what's called a completed canon of scripture. And the, the word canon, it's not the canon you stick a, a bomb in and shoot it out, but the word canon means, means measuring stick. 
It means measuring yard, right? And so a canon of scripture means this is the measuring stick. This is what we, we look at to guide our life. And so we have a completed measuring stick in our life that we can read and hear the word of the Lord. So here's what I believe about the office of the prophet. I, I, I believe that God uses people today to prophetically declare God's word with urgency. To prophetically declare God's word with urgency. There is no need in our life to have somebody prophesy predictive things over our life so we can figure out what we need to do. We need to trust God's word. God has spoken. And he has spoken clearly. And here's what I want to say. I believe that the, that. It is dangerous to follow after those who call themselves prophets looking for prophecies. I've experienced it all of my life growing up. I've experienced seeing the dangers that come from there. I just want to recount a story to you. I was 20. My wife and I were talking about this. I was 25 or so. And we were in a church at that time that was meeting on Saturday nights. And so I was an assistant pastor at that church. And so we met on on Saturday night. So it was Sunday morning. And and so we, I I don't even know how. We got to this website, but we got to this website and it was a group of, of people that called themselves prophets and they were sitting around a table and it was kind of like this live stream and there was a, a, a news feed that was on there kind of like, and you could type in and this is what they were saying. They were saying that if you, if you want a word from the Lord, then you can send in an offering and, and we'll give you a ready-made word from God. And so I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, wait a minute, that's not biblical. This is not Right. And so I was 25 years old and didn't care what anybody thought, and they would never see me in my life. So I got on there. I started typing, and I just wanted to say that I was Pastor Ben. So I put my, my, hand, my, my name as Pastor Ben, and I started questioning them. I was using scripture. I don't remember what scriptures I used, but I was using scriptures to show them that what they were doing was wrong, to charge people for a, a prophetic word. And so they got on there, and they started making fun of me, and actually one of them said, talked to me as I was typing and said, oh, Pastor Ben, it's Sunday morning. Where's your pulpit? Seems like the Lord hasn't given you a pulpit. And you were kind of making fun of me. And and I just want to say that what they were doing and what what others do is not biblical. And that that it is a temptation for us to try to find a word from the Lord in ways that are unhealthy. To try to find something that we can cling to that will give us direction in our life. And I just want you to know it can be unhealthy to chase those things. It can be unhealthy to chase those things. And, and, and here's the reason why. Here's what I w- would want to explain. Here's the reason why. There's two different types of revelations that you can say that you can have. Subjective revelation and objective revelation. So what is subjective revelation? Subjective revelation is revelation that is subject to what? My thinking, my understanding, my experiences, to my emotions and my feelings. And so if I come to you and I say, I have a word from the Lord for you, Dominic. I'm going to tell you a word from the Lord. And I speak what comes to my mind. And I just declare what comes to my mind. That is subjective. It's subjective to my thoughts, to my ability to make a mistake. It's subjective to, to me not hearing correctly. And that is the truth. And so I can declare that to you. Here's the word of the Lord for you, Dominic. Here's what you should do in your life. And I don't think that's something that Dominic should trust. But here's what I know Dominic can trust. 
And here's what I'm called to do as a pastor. I'm called to give you objective truth that is not subjected to my to my temporary knowledge, to my experiences or my weaknesses. But I can look at Scripture and, and I can say, Dominic, you are called to be a godly husband. You're called to be a godly uh, a father. You're called to work hard at the work that God's called you to do as, as a youth pastor. And so, so maybe Dominic is struggling in his life, in an area of his life. Let's just say, this is hypothetical, this is not what is going on in Dominic's life, but let's say he's struggling in his marriage. And Dominic, as a believer, is looking for a word from God that would tell him what he should do about his marriage. Maybe he's looking for a way out of his marriage. And so maybe somebody comes up to him and says, I have a word from the Lord for you, and, and, and you, need to, you need to do this and that in your marriage. You need to get out of your marriage, so on and so forth. But you know what I would tell him? I would tell him, Dominic, God has called you in your marriage to be a godly husband. That's what I know the, the word of the Lord is to you. And I know that that is true. And I know that if you will submit to God's word, that God will work in your life. And yes, maybe you may be in a difficult marriage, but if you will obey the Lord and leave the details up to God, he'll figure out the rest. You guys see the difference? And so this is what I'm telling you, that I believe that God has called prophets today to declare the truth of God's word because we know what God's word says. Subjective revelation versus objective revelation. We are not called to chase or follow after those who claim to be prophets and who claim to speak for God. We're called to follow after God's word, to be people of the book, the holy book. Thirdly, evangelists. Evangelists are those who have a special grace from the Lord to proclaim the gospel and God uniquely blesses their efforts. And so evangelists, just think about this. How many of you, and I know this is kind of a crazy statement, a crazy question, because who has not heard of Billy Graham? Right? Why is it that almost everyone you talk to has at least, even non-believers, have heard of Billy Graham? Why is that? Because God uniquely blessed Billy Graham's life. How did God uniquely bless his life? He gave him a gift of evangelism. He called him to be an evangelist. And when Billy Graham would show up at At a building, in a stadium, it wasn't just 50 people that would show up or 100 people or 200 people. It was thousands of people that would show up. If I decided one day that I was going to go rent out the Civic Center, which I believe seats about 5,000 people. If you loved me a whole lot and didn't think I was a heretic, some of you would show up at the Civic Center. But we probably have about 900 to 1,000 people here right now. And and not all of you are going to come. We might get half. So if I if advertise I'm having a meeting, I'm probably going to get maybe three or 400 people to show up. But, when, but, but God specifically blessed Billy Graham, gave him a gift of an evangelist that whenever, whenever he would go out and set up meetings and go around the world and preach the gospel, God would bless his efforts is the gifting of, of, of an evangelist. And to me, the same is true of missionaries. God specifically blesses missionaries and calls them with, with a gifting to go to places like Stan and Rebecca have done for over 35 years, to go and preach the gospel to places that have never heard the gospel. And God graces them to do that. As believers, we're all called. We're all called to evangelize, right? All of us are called to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. But not all of us have a special grace from God to be evangelist. And God has not given us all that special gifting. And so I believe that God uses evangelists today 
to, 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 to proclaim the gospel in such a way and then to see many people come to faith in Jesus Christ. So these would be evangelists today called to build the body of Christ, to equip the body of Christ. And then lastly, we have shepherd teacher or teaching pastors. And so when you study out the original language of, of, of Ephesians 4 here, it says that God's given shepherds and, shepherds and teachers, shepherds, pastors, teachers, shepherds and teachers. And, and it's really one singular office. And it's called the teaching pastor, the teaching pastor. So here's what I believe about this office. God has given to the church men who are called to shepherd his flock through the teaching of God's word. God has given to the church men who are called to shepherd his flock through the teaching of God's word. I just want to read a couple of scriptures to you that, that define my responsibility. Just follow with me here. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4 says this. So I exhort the elders, pastors, same word. I exhort the elders or pastors among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That is my responsibility as a pastor and a teacher, as a teaching pastor. I'm called to shepherd the flock of God. And one day I will stand accountable before the Lord. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4 says this about, my, about the calling God's given me and every other pastor. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, the ju- who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, listen to this, what's my calling? Preach the word. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to make you feel better about your life. I'm here to do what? To explain the Bible. And sometimes when we explain the Bible, it, it messes with our preconceived ideas of things. But my job is to explain the Bible, to teach the Bible. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. What does that mean, in season and out of season? It means there will be some seasons when you won't want to hear what I have to say. And God's telling me, preach it anyway. There'll be some seasons where you're going to want to hear it. And it's going to be joyful and you're going to be shouting me down. Not like right now. (laughs) But I'm called to preach then. And I'm called to preach when people want to hear. And I'm called to preach when people don't want to hear. And by God's grace, I will be faithful to that call. Be ready in season and out of season. Reproved. You guys want to be reproved? How about some rebuking? You guys up for some rebuking? Nobody likes rebuking, but I I can give it. We can work that out. Reprove, rebuke. Exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming. Here's here's what's going to happen. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth. It's, it's about God's word. People, this has always been the push to turn away from the truth and to follow after myths. And it's my job as your pastor to teach you the truth of God's word so you will not follow after myths and things that are not true. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And why, why is my responsibility so great? Last verse here I want to read. Acts 20, 28. Paul talking to the pastors at Ephesus. 
So this is the pastors of the book that we're studying right here. Paul tells them this. Pay careful attention to yourselves. So the first thing is this. Is it's my responsibility to pay careful attention to how I live my life. I am called to walk in humility. I'm called to walk in patience. I'm called to walk in integrity. And I have to pay close attention to myself that I do not wander and stray. Why? Because I am your example. You should be able to look at me and say that you want to follow me as you follow Christ. That is a humbling responsibility. And so that's why Paul says, if you're a pastor, watch out for yourself. And that's what I tell our pastors on staff. I remind us on a regular basis, look at yourself. How is your life? How are you doing in your spiritual life? How are we growing in Christ? So pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Listen to this. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Hear me. This is so important. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ here this morning, you were bought how? By the blood of Jesus Christ. And so what the Apostle Paul is telling the pastors at Ephesus, he's telling them that you better pay careful attention to yourself, brothers. You better watch out that you live a life of integrity and character. Because one day, you're going to appear before the God who sent his son to pay for these people with his blood. The stakes are high. And so you need to walk in integrity. And that is, what I li- that is the responsibility that I carry in my life. Because I know one day I will stand before the Lord for how I live my life as your example. Do you believe that? I believe it. I believe it every day. Which he attained with his own blood. Pay careful attention to yourself. And then secondly, pay careful attention to the flock. These are... God's people. It's the church of God. It's his church. And so my calling is not to build my church. It's not to, it's not to build numbers for the sake of my popularity. My calling is to care for you who are the church of God so that I can be found faithful. So that on that day that the people that God has purchased with his blood, that God would say that I was faithful because you belong to him, not to me. Amen? Spiritually gifted believers are equipped by spiritually gifted believers who then become active in the work of building the body of Christ. So we've all been given a grace. You guys follow me? We're concluding. We're almost done. We've all been given a grace and a gifting, a spiritual gifting from the Lord to be used for his purposes. And secondly, we have all been given help. We've all been given help to be equipped. And God uses men and women, spiritual leaders in our lives to help equip us to become fully equipped Christians, and the third thing that we see is, is that now, we are now called to do the work of building the body. We are now called to do the work of building the body. That's what it says in Ephesians 4.12, that we're to be equipped for the what? Work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. That's what we're called to. We're called to build the body of Christ. So how, are the, how is the body of Christ built? I believe there's two primary ways the body of Christ is built. The first one is this. The body of Christ is built through the working of our spiritual gifts for the mutual edification of one another. That's the first primary way that that the body. So so we are the body, right? We're believers in Jesus Christ. And so the body is built when we use our spiritual gifts to edify each other. You guys follow me? 
So we're called to edify each other. And then, so then the body is built. The second way that the body is built, primary way, is that the body of Christ is built through the working again of our spiritual gifts for the purpose of doing what? Proclaiming the gospel. And God builds his church, adds to his church. So together we edify each other by functioning in our spiritual gifts that the Lord's given us. So we would edify one another. And then we use our spiritual gifts when we leave the, the four walls. And God uses our spiritual gifts to, to evangelize and to bring people in to the body, to see them come to saving, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then the process starts for them. As they become believers, then we edify them, they edify us, and we're built together in love. And then we become mature, fully equipped Christians, and then we go where? Out the four walls. And we go and start the process over again. It's kind of like a multi-level marketing plan, but without the scam. And without the pyramid scheme, without the head honcho up top that doesn't do anything anymore because they worked really hard to get there. What did we read in 1 Corinthians 12? We're all on the same level. We all have spiritual gifts. And so there's nobody greater than anyone else. It's not a pyramid scheme. We're all spiritually gifted for the purpose of building each other up so that we can become equipped so so that we can build his body through evangelism. Amen? So you think, well, that sounds great. Pretty, pretty generic. And I just want to say this before I transition to this, this closing practical thought here. The, the New Testament does not give us a picture of believers who are not active in the work of ministry. For those of you who think, well, that's just not me, Pastor Ben. There's those who work and there's those who don't. And I'm a, I'm a don't work person. I'm really, I'm just, that's... That's my lane. That's kind of where I thrive. I just want to come and sit. And I just have to be your pastor this morning. And I just have to tell you that that's, that's not biblical. Amen. This is, this is the rebuking part. This is, you may go back to the text. This is kind of where earlier in, in Timothy, the rebuking, and there's some exhortation here, right? So maybe some of you need to be rebuked out of your seat. And some of you, maybe you've been getting out of your seat. You just need to be exhorted to continue. There is really no picture of non-active Christians. And again, it's hard for us because we get so accustomed to seeing really active people in the church, behind the pulpit, on the stage. I thought I was going to have a piano player, but there will be a piano player coming out here. And she's going she's gonna to work her gifting. And there she is. Look, right on cue. She's going to work her gifting. I love, I love Frankie. Let's give a, a thanks for Frankie right now. Frankie, Frankie needs to be reminded that she is useful for the kingdom of God. And thank you, Frankie, for your faithfulness. Amen? So, we get it mixed up. And so we can sit and we can look at Frankie who plays the piano and think, well, they're doing the work. And, and, and really, church is just about pulling off a church service. And if that's really all church is about pulling off a church service, then, hey, all we need is me and Frankie. We can do it. Uh, we don't need drums. We don't need the lead guitar. Me and Frankie, we're going to... Frankie, do you want to sign up for that? Would you like to sign up to, to, to do church every Sunday with, with me? You can play the piano. I don't know if she can even hear me. Can, can, can you hear me? Okay, good. She can play the piano, and then I could preach sermons, and then you guys could go home and do nothing with your Christian life. But that's not what we see in Scripture. There really is no picture of that. And so my, my exhortation to you, is that you would get off of the sidelines if you're on the sidelines. Is that you would say, Lord, why did you call me here to Living Word Church? Why did you place me here? 
Is it really just to sit and listen to Ben preach? Because he can get, he can get, he preaches long. He really does, and it gets boring after a while. And he's got to do these visual aids at the end of the message to wake people up. I just want to tell you, pray. Say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Why am I here? I know you saved me, and I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. But that can't be the pinnacle of your Christian life. There is such joy in obeying the Lord. I loved sitting with Stan and Rebecca on Friday night. And he probably said a dozen times, it's about obedience. You just obey the Lord. And so I'm telling you to, to obey the Lord. Be useful. So how can you be useful? How can God use you? There's lots of ways. Vern told me before service to tell you that you can be useful at the pumpkin patch. <laughs> so, and Tina will applaud that. So, well, they need lots of volunteers. How many volunteers does it take at the pumpkin patch? 200 volunteers. That's like, I think 150 chairs are right there. And we, we need 50 more, we need about 30, 40 more people right there that can sign up. That section, you all are signed up for the pumpkin patch. We need you to fill those other seats. So how can you build up your brother or sister in Christ this week? That's the question. Second question is this. How can you be a part of the Great Commission this week? How can you build your brother and sister? And how can you be a part of the Great Commission this week? I just wrote some six practical things. First one is this. Send that encouraging text. Send it. I loved Craig Rochelle. He said this at the marriage conference. and I loved it. It is so true. He said, if you think something good to say... Say it. Why would you ever withhold something good in your heart that you want to say to a brother and sister in Christ? Say it. Send the encouraging text. Make that encouraging phone call because your brother and sister need it. They always need it. They always need it. Now, if you call every single day and you take up all their time, it may be a problem, right? But send that encouraging text. Cook that meal. It's very practical. You, we, we will hear of needs in our church. We have a great ministry called Meal Train. When people are struggling in their life or maybe they've had a baby or they're sick or something, we, we, we sign up, people sign up for Meal Train. Sign up to be a part of Meal Train. It's, it's, it's ran by, by, by Amy Harper, Brian and Amy Harper. Sign up, cook that meal. It is so powerful to do that. Estelle and I do that on a regular basis. Pray for each other. This is very practical. When you hear the needs of the body, pray for one another. Genuinely pray for one another. Bless someone financially. Bless them. If you hear of a need, and, and this is a little harder, right? So, so, so you're like, hey, I can send the text, and I can cook a meal, and, and, and I can pray. I can definitely pray for people, because I may not be that good of a cook, and maybe I can't text very well. But all of us need money to survive, and all of us hold on to our money so hard that George Washington starts crying, right? That's the old joke. I just want to tell you, God wants to use you to bless others financially and obey the Lord. But you will never regret obeying the Lord. Because when you obey the Lord, he's going to bless you. I promise you. You obey the Lord. Bless somebody financially. Speak truth. That's a practical way that you can build the body and evangelize. Speak the truth. And lastly, I just, just want to say this. this. This last one, be aware instead of being distracted. Be aware instead of being distracted. This this. In my mind, this has to do with evangelism. Because a lot of us, we think, how can I evangelize? I'm not a preacher. I don't understand the Bible like you do. I can't articulate it well. And I just feel like, I just, I don't know. I can't do anything. If you will be aware 
instead of being distracted. If I had my phone with me, I'd pull my phone out to show you. If you would stand at Rouse's and not stand like this, right? Be aware instead of being distracted. Hey, look, and I am not saying that I am not distracted at Rouse's. Probably some of you have seen me distracted at Rouse's off of St. Charles Street. Right, so we're in this together. It's a call for us to to be aware and not be distracted. Put the phone away, look at the cashier, and give her a word of encouragement. Maybe the Lord's, not maybe, the Lord has called you everywhere you go to shine the light of the gospel. So be aware instead of being distracted. And I promise you, God will use you. If you will be aware and not be distracted, the Holy Spirit of God who lives on the inside of you will prompt you to be a blessing to others will prompt you to speak truth. And when you do it, it's going to get addictive because you're going to love what's going to happen. And now every now and then, someone will be cantankerous and somebody's going to be rude, but that comes with the territory because they persecuted Christ and they will persecute us because we carry a message that people don't like if they're sinful. If they don't want to let go of their sin, they're not going to like our message, but that's okay. Be aware instead of being distracted. So, stand your feet with me as we close. I have a Last question I want to give you. How will God use us this week to build his church? How will God use us this week to build his church? Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Let's get in a posture of prayer. Close your eyes. Then look around and look at me. Just think about that question and let's make it personal. How will God use me to build his church this week, Sunday through Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. How will God use me to build his church? Now let's stop. Let's pray. Let's pray. Pray. Ask the Lord. Pray. Say, say Lord, use me. Use me. Use us, Lord. Use us. Use me, Lord. Use me to build your church this week. God, I pray that you would use me to build your church, to speak that encouraging word, to send that encouraging text, to speak truth and love. Lord, help me to not be distracted, but to be aware wherever I go that you have given me as a believer the responsibility to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all men. Lord, how will you use us? How will you use us? We're gonna, I'm just going to say this. I'm going to say this. Once you look back up at me. We're going to do this. We're, we're going to do this. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to start a campaign starting right now. And uh, is Jamie Conling in here somewhere? Somewhere right here? I don't know. She's not here. But somebody can talk to her that I've just commissioned her to do something. <laughs> and what we're going to do is we're going to create, and I'm completely stealing this from, from a church I saw in Tennessee. And it's going to be this box that we're going to create. And it's going to have like plexiglass on it or something. And we're going to put it on the wall somewhere, probably near the prayer wall or maybe on that missions wall. We have a missionary room over there. This is total spur of the moment. I'm just like going with it, right? But this is what we're going to do. It's going to be on that wall. You're going to see it in the next week or two. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to put that thing, contraption on the wall. I've seen it. You haven't. So just trust me. We put it on the wall and we're going to have ping pong balls available. Okay? This is what we're going to do. We just ask, God, how are you going to use me? to build your church this week. So our objective, let's just say we have about a thousand people here this morning. Let's set a goal. How many people do you think a thousand people can preach the gospel to? How many people? 
Should we just say a thousand people? It's just one on one. I think I think maybe we could go a little bit more than that. Let's say let's let's make a goal. Let's say that we would a thousand people would preach the gospel to five thousand people. Okay, we're in the second week of September. How long do you think we need to do that? A week? I don't know about a week. That's all I, said. I don't know. I don't know about a week. Let's see. Um, we'll think about the time frame, and I get. I'll get back with you. But but we're going to do it. So here's what's going to happen. Our goal is to see five thousand names on ping pong balls. We might have to get a pretty big contraption there, but. And here's the point. The point is, is I don't want you to write down a name on a ping pong ball that you want me and us to pray for that they would come to know Jesus. It is those that you preach the gospel to. So think of the people that you know need Jesus and don't know the Lord. And when you witness to them, when you share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, we're going to have ping pong balls available. You're going to write their name on that ping pong ball and we're going to put it in there. And then we're going to pray for them because they've had the seed of God, God's word deposited in, in, in their heart. And you know what's going to happen when a thousand people begin to obey the Great Commission? What's going to happen? The Lord's going to build his church. Because the power of God into salvation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So are you guys ready to sign up? I know some of you are like, I'm ready to go home and watch the saints. But are you ready to sign up? Are you ready? Okay, that's what we're going to do. I'm telling you, when I saw that, when I saw that thing at that church in Nashville, we were at a men's conference, I thought, we are doing that. We're doing that. So it's, we can call it, let's call it, uh, we'll figure out something we're going to call it. But let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your church. God, I thank you for our church, for our church family. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to take the truth of your word that has been taught us and to live it out, to be a blessing, to help, help us, Lord, to build the body of Christ. Help us to build the body, to be a part of what you're doing. God, you're at work. You are at work in the earth, and you're simply asking for us to say yes. Here am I, as Isaiah, here am I, send me. We pray this, Lord, that you would use this and that in return, Lord, you, you would build your church. You would build your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. Be dismissed. You are dismissed.